while, while we're worshiping this morning and we're just singing the name of Jesus, you know that the name Jesus, and I was just thinking of this during worship this morning, that the name Jesus means God is salvation. God is salvation. And we're singing, God, you're my salvation. You know, the name of Jesus is not some kind of magic formula that if we somehow utter that name as some kind of magic formula that everything will disappear or all our problems go away. It means that through the name of Jesus, through the person of the Lord Jesus, as we embrace him as a person, his ways into our lives, there comes salvation, there comes freedom, there comes power over sin. And uh, I was just reminded of that, Lord, that in your name, your name is above every other name, Acts says, that there's no other name under heaven which man may be saved. And every time we say the name Jesus, we're actually saying, God, you're my salvation. Um, God, I'm not trusting in anything else. I'm trusting in you, Lord. Um, I'm not going to put my faith in my, in my finances or my faith in the government or my faith in the economy or my faith in my health. Or I'm not going to put my faith in any of that or my job. I'm putting my faith or in a person or in your spouse or in your future spouse um, I'm putting my faith in God, in Jesus. And every time we speak the name of Jesus, we're saying, Jesus, I once gave my life to you because we know that salvation is not just a, it's not a prayer that you pray only. It's a, it's, an, it's a walking out, it's an event. And every time we say, Jesus, my life now is yours, and one day I'll be with you in glory and I'll keep having salvation in your name. Um, it's just a wonderful thing, the name of Jesus. The, st- the sweetest name of all. Um, oh, the name of Jesus. Don't you love the name of Jesus? The precious name of the Lord. Oh, thank you for your name, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are, are for us. We pray this morning that you would come and wash us with your word. Wash us, Lord, that we would be washed. That we want to be like those Bereans that received the word with joy. We want to receive what you have to say, Father. Oh, in your name, amen. So what we're busy doing over the last, we've been doing this over the last five or six weeks, is that we've been preaching through the book of 2 Timothy, and we've been journeying through as a church together, not every Sunday, but most Sundays, and we've been focusing on the book of 2 Timothy because 2 Timothy focuses on, or or we've been looking at discipleship, in the book of 2 Timothy, and it's been a real joy. I realize that one of the things that is good for us as a church, that when we journey through a book of the Bible like this together, it actually forces us to look at scriptures that we wouldn't normally preach on. Um, It actually, we end up having to look at difficult truths that we wouldn't even normally look at. And how many of you are honest that when you come to a part of the Bible that is difficult to understand and difficult to uh, you know, fathom, we often can skip over those parts. It's like we stick on the well-worn paths, that the, p- the parts that we're comfortable with. Let's be honest, we all do that, right? We stick to the parts of the Bible that for us is comfortable. Um, at the moment, I'm reading through Leviticus. And let me say it's not comfortable. <laughs> it's hard work. When I open up the bo- book of Leviticus, I don't hear the angels sing. Um, I don't hear heaven. I don't feel heaven open. It's like hard work. It feels like I'm a I'm a I'm a miner that I'm digging and I'm digging. But when I dig and I dig, eventually there's gold. It's like whoa, that's gold. And sometimes you know we expect truth to drop out of heaven, drop out of the sky. But actually, Proverbs says that we've got to dig for it under the ground. 
And we've actually got to be like that. We, we can't expect things just to drop out of the sky or drop out of heaven. We often have to take the posture of someone who's like a treasure hunter, but you've got to dig before you find the treasure. And I think, don't we, we get so impatient sometimes with the Word of God where we want it to mean something to us now. But it's got to speak to me now. I'm reading my Bible. Why doesn't it speak to me? Why doesn't it encourage me? I have felt like that many times. And I have to remind myself that the Word of God is not, it's not a divine email from heaven where it's going to give you a quick answer. God demands that as, you, as we trust Him, as we have faith in Him, as we come to Him and search Him, search His Word, then these things open up to us, often like gold coming out of the ground. Um, it's, just, it's just something, it's just a freebie. I, I, I'm not preaching on this, but it's just something I've been thinking of just um, while we're worshiping this morning. And, um, and so we're going through 2 Timothy, and one of the reasons is, is because we want to strengthen the muscle of discipleship, this idea that we are followers of Jesus and that we're not reliant on one or two professionals you know, up front, or one or two leaders who have all the answers, which we don't, by the way, <laughs> or one or two, you know, we are, each of us are disciples that make disciples, and that if the Lord has joined you here, we expect you, and God expects you over a period of time that you need to be giving. You cannot just sit to be a spectator and receive. You are here because God wants you to disciple others. And we've looked at that. We've looked at holiness. We've looked at endurance. Um, and if you've missed any of the preachers, I want to encourage you, you can download it on the website. But what we're going to do today is we're going to read a quite a difficult portion of Scripture. It's not difficult to understand, but it's difficult to grasp. Because, And I'm going to read this to us. It's, there's 13 verses that I'm going to read out. And as I read out these 13 verses, uh, it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 13. And guys, as I read this out to you, in many senses, this portion is not easy to read. Because it's not like the happy scriptures of God's going to bless your life, and you're going to be the head and not the tail. And, you know, God's given you a hope and a future. I mean, we all love those scriptures, right? This scripture that we're going to be looking at is dealing with um, hardship and persecution and difficulty. And, and again, because you're going through 2 Timothy, I'm not going to shy over the scripture and go, whoops, this is a little bit inconvenient. Like, you know, oh, oh, yeah, like we're not going to, if, if, if we preach this scripture, oh, we might lose people. People might not want to come and be a Christian because it's going to be hard. Okay, we're going to be faithful and we're reading God's word, right? Let me just have a sip of water before I carry on. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. Okay, let's read from verse 1 from the ESV. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of prosperity. Oops, no, terrible time. I need the ESV, please. Can you pick up? Let's just change that. It doesn't say wonderful times. <laughs> it doesn't say times of prosperity. It says, in the ESV, it says, times of difficulty. Okay, times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, 
not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Stop now. Okay, now I have to carry on. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as that was uh, of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions. What does persecution mean in Afrikaans? May vervolging. Okay, vervolgings and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, that is a promise given. It's not you might be. It's, it's one of those difficult promises in the Bible. You know those Christian bumper stickers? I used to have one on the back of my car when I got saved in 1991. And it said, Rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4.4. Those cheesy Christian bumper stickers? Well, I've never seen one that says that. All who desire to live, you know, that promise, like, uh uh-uh. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So I want us to start off by, by, as we look at the scripture, to say that it says that in the last days, it says, there will come times of difficulty. Now, the last days have not begun in the year 2000. The last days began when Pentecost happened. It happened at the birth of the church. And so we've been, for the last 2,000 years, been living in the period of the last days. And yes, things are getting from bad to worse, but things have always been difficult for the church. And did you know that for someone that became a Christian when the church started, you became a Christian in, in, in difficulty? You were, you were persecuted for your faith. Is that it, when the church was birthed, the early leaders were not applauded for their faith. And we know that, for example, out of the 12 apostles, the 12 original apostles, 11 of the 12 were martyred. They were killed for their faith. And there was an ancient saying in the early church that said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so the very blood that was spilled for the sake of the gospel became the seed that caused the church to grow. And so the church was birthed out of difficulty. It was birthed out of a place that wasn't always easy and difficult. Now, I want to focus on just two things during reading this portion of Scripture that I want us to understand. Firstly, my first point is this, is that as Christians today, we need to understand the times that we live in, okay? And we need to see how the Scripture applies to us today. So we need to understand the culture that we live in. And now what he does, he says that there's times of difficulty. Now, how many of you have, because you've been a follower of Jesus, you've had times of difficulty? That, that should happen to you. In fact, you know, if you get applauded and Jesus said, if men speak well of you, then woe to you. Because it means that maybe you're not doing something right. 
<laughs> and if everyone speaks well of you, there's a concern because it might mean that you're, 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 fe- you're fearing man and you, you're doing what man wants rather than sometimes standing up for the Lord. And so from the beginning, there's been almost an opposition against those that are in the faith. Now, I'm sharing this with you today because I think God wants to put in us a resilience. Um, resilience is a nice English word. It means like bulldog kind of faith. A faith that doesn't give up when, when the going gets tough. And as we looked at two weeks ago, when we looked at endurance, there's this need to keep going even when it's difficult. And something that these early Christians, because they weren't born on a cruise ship where it was nice and comfortable, they were born on a, on a, you know, on a battleship in a sense. They were born in the battle. Have any of you been born in a wartime situation? When you were born, there was war around you. And, and your parents might have been born like that. A.D. was actually born, my wife was born like that, into a wartime situation. When she was born in 1974, uh, Zimbabwe, or Rhodesia then, was going through a civil war. And A.D.'s first word was army. Army! <laughs> that was her first word, army. And she was born into civil war. And her parents were toughened up because they knew that life wasn't easy. But let's be honest, life for many of us have become a lot easier than our forefathers. But for them, they were born, the church was born out of this time of difficulty. And, and so the first thing I want to say is this, is that we need to understand the culture we live in today, that for you as a Christian, within a culture that's becoming more and more ungodly, more and more not a friend of Jesus and not a friend of God. And here what it does in three verses from verse 1 through to verse 3, It mentions sinners and sinful attitudes, and it says the first thing up here in verse 2, sorry, from verse 2 to 4, I think. It says, for people will be lovers of self, and that that sets the, the tone for everything else that gets mentioned, all these lists of sins and attitudes that people in the last days who don't know Jesus will have that they will, they'll be lovers of self. And you know, I want to say that that describes you and I without Jesus. It describes you and I without Christ, that without Jesus, who's at the center of our lives? We are. We put ourselves first, and we live in a culture that just glorifies me. Um, what do they call it? The unholy trinity. Me, myself, and I. And, um, and that's what it does, it's putting myself on the throne. And what's amazing with this portion of Scripture, and again, we don't have time to get into all the, the details of it, but in verse 5, it describes these kinds of people, which, let's be honest, often we in our sinful states, and even if we have those days where we are, oh, Lord, where we act more like the world and more we become selfish, I don't know about you, but I know even on that list, I personally identify with some of these things. For me, I don't look at that and go, those are those sinners out there, but us as Christians, we are so holy and good, and thank God we're not like that. Let's be honest. How many of you have been ungrateful before? Okay? I know I have. How many of you at times have been a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God? I have. You have. And so if we detach from Christ, and if we're not under grace, we can slide into that place where we become just like the world. But what is astounding about this list is the last phrase on this list is that it describes people at their worst. Um, last night we had, a, a, there was a party down the road, um, two houses from us. And um, it was actually in, in the house, Marinus knows the house well. Um, not, he doesn't live there, but he's, he knows the house well. 
And the people that were, the people that were in the house, man, they were having a fat jaw. Okay? They were drinking till late. And then I heard, and as they were drinking, you could hear things getting very out of hand. Um, there was shouting and screaming, and then there was a car that pulled up. I mean, our, our neighborhood is normally quiet, but it, it was like there was some serious domestic disturbance. There must have been a fight and an argument, and I heard these guys, no, we're going to get him. We're going to get him, and we're going to find him, and, and it just became wild. <laughs> Suddenly, this is midnight. All the neighbors, we've, we've got a neighbor on the one side near our bedroom. We sleep close to the road. And the neighbor um, is an ex-policeman. He came out with his wife in a dressing gown at midnight. Now watch him. And then the other neighbor came out. And then another guy came out. And the whole neighborhood was out. What is going on here? Now I want to say that, that, you know, that is the world. And, um, and, and yet at times, but what is astounding about this list is if you look at the last part in verse 5, it says this, having that these people, and even with us at times, in our sin, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And what is astounding about this is that often it can, these people can be religious, can go to church on a Sunday, can um, appear to say the right thing, but at the heart of it, what is at the heart? A lover of self and not a lover of God. And what we can do, friends, it's easy to masquerade by using church and using the Bible and, and not actually, um, actually having our hearts change. And what the wonder of the gospel is, is this, that the wonder of the gospel is that God doesn't change you from the outside in. The wonder of the gospel is that God promises to give us a new heart and he transforms us from the inside out. That when you get born again, he makes you a lover of God and not a lover of self. Um, he makes you someone that's not reckless and, and godless, and he doesn't make you like that anymore. And if you are struggling in those areas, that if you're honest, and I know there's some of you that are here today, some of you are acting just like the world. I know. I know, that, I know there's some of you here that you are acting, you can't tell the world apart from someone like you. I want to say, say to you in the Lord, you are not acting like Christ. And that God's aim is that from the inside out, there has to be a change that there has to be fruit showing to your salvation. Otherwise, friends, you're ungodly. And the Bible says that the ungodly cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And, you know, we don't hear this enough today. Grace covers our sins, but what grace does, grace will empower you, will change your heart, and you have to begin to live differently. This list that is up front here, this cannot be a characteristic of your life and my life. And while there are times these things will pop up and we say, oh, Okay, yeah, I was like that. But if that characterizes your life, there is a deep, deep problem. And the answer is not change your behavior. The answer, friends, is to change, ask God to change your heart, what is impossible to us. And so this thing about them being outwardly religious but inwardly corrupt. And, um, and then what he does is um, I want us to go to verse 8. And he mentions two people um, that were along with Moses in Exodus they were magicians in Pharaoh's court. These two men, Janus and Jambres, it mentions in verse 8, are given as examples of people that appear religious, they have a form of spirituality, and they even have some kind of counterfeit power, but they've denied the truth. And it's interesting, he uses them as an example um, of, of, of that it's possible to even tap into a source of spirituality that can be demonic. 
And he mentions that in the last days, you'll have people like that who appear spiritual, that it might even mention the name of the Lord. They might even use their Bibles, but inwardly they're corrupt and self-centered and self-seeking. And um, the story of Janus and Jumbrus, it shows here, it's from Exodus 7, verse 11. And um, we're not going to turn there, but if you want to, you can read that in your own time. Exodus 7, verse 11. And it gives this idea that there's often a spirituality, but it's not from God. And, um, and so, just because it looks spiritual and it has a measure of power, it doesn't even mean it's from God. So, what does Paul mean? Let's go back to verse 5. In verse 5, when, let me just take this off because I'm sweating this thing on. In verse 5, where he says, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And you say, but Mike, what does that mean? Does it mean that as a Christian today, if you don't move in signs and wonders, then actually you're sorry for you? You know, you have an appearance of God, but that actually is no power. Is that what he means? So what does he mean here when he says that there is a form of godliness, but without, without the power? What does he mean there? Does he mean that you've got to have some outward power? It's almost like when you walk, you know, and you go, in Jesus' name. It's like suddenly someone's healed, and that's what it means to have power? Or does it, you know, does it mean that, that if you pray for someone and they're instantly healed? Is that what he means? Does he mean that, or you, you speak a word over someone and suddenly there's money coming out of their pockets and they're speaking in tongues and it's like, glory to God, you know? That's not what he means here. What he means is, he means the power of the gospel. He means that the inward change to transform your heart and that people that appear religious but their hearts are not transformed, that's what he means. Now, can we trust for signs and wonders? Yes, but he's talking about something much deeper, about identifying with the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And ultimately, Romans 1, 16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So where does our power come from? It comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. It comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you are trying to tap into some kind of other power, even if you ask it from God, um, that is not rooted in the person of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, let me say, friends, be careful of where that power comes from. And you know, today, what is concerning to me is even when we can, you can switch on God TV or Christian television, and you can put that on, and even stuff that is on Christian television, it doesn't mean that it is because it's on God TV that it's Christian. There's stuff out there that is unhelpful and ungodly. And in these last days, what you find is there are teachings and deceptions that come along, and we've got to be those that root ourselves in the truth, and know what it is to discern right and wrong. And look what he does here in verse 13. He says in verse 13, further down, um, and we're speaking about this idea of selfishness, the spirit of the age, deception. He says here that evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so we do. In chapter 4, it speaks about false teachers that even teach what people want to hear. Um, and, and, you know, we are in that age, and, you know, what I love about Andrew's, Andrew Selly, who leads Josh Jen, is Andrew's often not scared to, to sometimes call things as they are, and if you follow him on Facebook, um, he, he, he'll upset a lot of people, but he'll also speak the truth, and on these things, he's not scared to say things as they are, to say, guys, there are certain ministries out there that just because they call themselves Christian, 
They, what they do is they appeal to your flesh rather than actually appealing to the cross of Jesus Christ. They don't lead you into obedience. They actually lead you into selfishness, to be a lover of self. Okay? Be careful. Um, and if you don't know what, what to watch, you say, but what can I watch? Well, speak to one of the leaders, and we'll give you our perspective. Make yourself accountable in terms of what you're watching, what you're reading, because there's safety in the body of Christ. Then what he carries on in verse 5, he says, Having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Interesting, hey? He just says, don't have anything to do with them. Just avoid them. Um, there are other kind of people in the Bible that the Bible also says that you should avoid. You say, but really? I thought we have to love everyone. Yes, you have to love everyone, but there's certain people you should avoid. This is one kind of person that, that seems to be spiritual, but they live a life that is godless. The Bible says have nothing to do with them, right? We've read that. Avoid them. Okay? You warn them, obviously. You've got to warn them, reach out to them in love. But if they're saying they're a follower of the Lord and they're living like they're a child of the devil, you have nothing to do with them. Then it carries on. And, in, uh, and I want to... You, uh, we're actually not going to turn there. But in Thessalonians, at the end of... I think it's 1 Thessalonians... There's other kinds of people that you should avoid. Do you know what kind of people they are? Any idea? It's divisive people would be one. The Bible says if someone is divisive and a gossiper and a slanderer, avoid them. That's one kind of person. There's another kind of person in Thessalonians that it tells us to avoid. Do you know what that is? Someone who's lazy. That's right. It says if someone will not work, if they're not prepared to work, then eventually it says, well, just have nothing to do with them. That's obviously if they're just lazy. And you say, but you know, that's a bit harsh. And again, what we're trying to do is you're trying to be faithful to Scripture. And, and the Bible gives us these things for a reason, because it want, God wants us to, to learn how to, to speak the truth in love and sometimes to speak the hard truths in these things. And you say, but Mike, then how do we practice evangelism if we have to avoid people like that? Then who do we reach out to? And that's a good question. <laughs> and I think my answer to that would be reach out to people that are unchurched, that don't know, or that maybe they go to church and they, they want to reach out to God. Reach out to people that are sincerely wanting to know something and know the truth. Reach out to people that are open and are men and women of peace, in a sense. Reach out to them because often you'll find that there's an openness to them in the Lord. Other kind of people to reach out to are those who are godless, like my neighbor, man. I think he, they definitely don't go to church, okay? I can reach out to him, but if he's calling himself a believer and he says, but I know what happened last night, I can warn him and say, bro, but I can't be friends with that guy because he's going to lead me into something that's ungodly and unhelpful. So it's very important. So that's just one thing. We have to understand the culture that we live in today and navigate through carefully in terms of these things. The other point that I'd like to make, friends, and I'd like us to look at verse 10 to verse 12. And verse 10 says, and my point is this, that as believers, we need to accept that persecution can happen to us. And that it can happen to you. Okay? And it says here, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, it carries on, yet from all of the Lord." All of them, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
And so I want to say that, would you ready yourself? Have you, when you came to Christ, did you say, Lord, I'm willing to be persecuted for your name's sake? Have you, have you prayed that? Have you said that? Have you said, Lord, if, if it comes to it, and I have given a choice between denying the Lord and, and saving my life, what am I going to do? Um, and we think, but, you know, that happened 2,000 years ago. I mean, we, we read of the stories of the ancient martyrs. How many of you read the book, The Fox's Book of Martyrs? Okay, it's an English book, but um, I'm not sure if there's an Afrikaans translation out there. But a martyr is someone that has given up their life for Christ. Now, this is on the one extreme. And we say, but, you know, Mike, that happened 2,000 years ago um, where people died. We hear stories of Peter who, um, um, uh, you know, Simon Peter, the, the leader of the early church, he died on a cross. He was crucified for his faith. But because he loved the Lord so much, he actually was crucified upside down. And he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. I want to be crucified upside down. And he was crucified upside down, tradition tells us. Or we hear stories of James, who's the leader of the first church. He's Jesus' brother, the leader of the early church. He's the very first, one of the early martyrs. He gets beheaded for his faith. And we think, but that's extreme. Um, or we think of examples like Jim Elliot. You know the story of Jim Elliot? There's a, the story is very famous. He was in the, it was the 1950s. And I'm going to read the story to you. Along with his four missionary colleagues, they were killed on January the 8th, 1956, whilst trying to establish contact with the Orca Indians in Ecuador. Some of you have heard the story before. And these four men, they, they, they were young men. They were married with uh, many of them, three, four, five years married. They're in their late 20s, early 30s, with little children. And their mission in life was to go and reach unreached people, take the gospel to people that hadn't heard. They were learning the language, and they were trying to get into this area um, of, of um, vicious, they're vicious tribes in the Amazon jungle. And so they tried to make contact with them, went back again. There was initial contact made. And then one day on the 8th of Jan, uh, January, they fly in because they're in a very remote part of the jungle. They fly in down, they land on this remote beach. That's the only place they could get access to the tribe. And, um, and, and they come and they, they encounter, they bring their Bibles with them and they were slaughtered to death on the beach, the four of them. They were speared to death, and their bodies were left on the beach. This is a very, very famous story because it's famous because all four men had long before that already made the decision to die for Christ. The moment they got saved, the moment they got water baptized, they said, it is no longer I that live. I'm living for the glory of God. My life is not my own. And so when they died on the beach that day, in a sense, they had already died. But what is astounding about the story, friends, is that their, their bodies were picked up. It made national news in America because they were Americans. And their wives, their widows, went back. And over the years, their wives dedicated their lives to reach out to the Orca Indians. And Jim Elliott's wife herself became a missionary to the Orca Indians. They led that tribe to the Lord. They translated the Bible into their language. They spent their life dedicated. They didn't curse their enemies. They loved their enemies, and they reached out to them with the gospel. It's like, this is an astounding story. And you say, but Mike, yeah, but that, that doesn't happen. I mean, I mean, we don't know anyone who's martyred for their faith. Or you hear the other story. In 1999, there was a shooting in an American school called Columbine. Um, some of you have heard of it as well, where there were two students 
that went on a rampage with pistols and semi-automatic weapons shooting up the school. They killed 12 of their student friends and two teachers. And one of the girls that they killed, they pointed a gun at her head. 1999, they pointed a gun at her head in America, and they said, do you believe in God? And she said, yes, I do. And they shot her, point blank. Gah. Okay? Um, and you think, like, what? Now you think, like, am I prepared to do that for the Lord? And I want to say, friends, you cannot be counted worthy of following Christ if you cannot put your hand up and say, Lord, if I have to choose between my life and between the glory of God, I have to choose because it's no longer I that live. And the kind of Christianity we are born into is this kind of Christianity. There's no other kind of Christianity. Jesus said, if you're not worthy to pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And we think like, okay, there's that. Okay, sure. Okay, maybe, I mean, I don't want to get bullet in my head, do you? No, we don't want to. But then, but for us, often today, persecution will not look like someone putting a gun to your head. Persecution for you, maybe for you, and I know for, for if you're a student at school, and you're a follower of Jesus, and you're passionate for Christ, you will face persecution for your faith. You will, you'll get it hard, man. You will, if, you're, if you're a believer at school, and the one girl in Columbia that had the, had the gun to her head, she apparently the day before wrote in her, in her diary, because she was quite a new Christian, and she wrote in her diary, my friends are teasing me, and they're mocking me for my faith. But Lord, I've made a choice. I'm going to live for you no matter what. And she wrote it in her, in her diary the day before. Um, and she had made that decision to follow Christ. So for some of you that are in university and that you're a follower of Jesus, you are going to get laughed at, you're going to get mocked at. Do you realize that? Do you realize that if you're going to study certain courses, you're going to have lecturers that are going to say, how they're going to ridicule you for your faith. That is the, the, the culture that we live in. Um, and, and you've got to ready yourself for that, to understand that, that yes, Lord, I'm going to be counted worthy to be a follower of Christ in this way. Um, others of you um, will have family that won't understand that when you live full out for the Lord, you're going to have family members that says, what are you doing? Like, what's this, you, this Jesus thing? Why, why can't you be normal? Yeah? Why can't you just be like the rest of us? We just go to, but you don't have to do it every day. <laughs> All right? Do you relate? I know many of you relate to that. Or why do you have to be like that? Friends, there's a measure, it's a measure of persecution that comes against you for your faith. Um, there's others of you that, um, for, for work, if you're in a work situation, and if you stand for righteousness, you would get persecuted for righteousness' sake. One of my friends is in the printing industry, and it's a very, um, they print, you know, normal Cosmopolitan, U magazines, and he oversees the printing of all these magazines. But a number of years ago, they received a, uh, a consignment to print Playboy magazines in South Africa. Uh, Playboy was a, is a pornographic uh, magazine, and they received the consignment to print these magazines. And he went to his boss and said, I'm a Christian, as you know, I, I can't oversee, I can't look at the quality of these, I, I can't do it. I, I, it's gonna, it's, this is going to cause me to sin against my conscience and sin against my God. And he said, well, you can find another job. And he did. He lost his job because of his faith. Friends, this is the world we live in. And as we steal ourselves, we know that God looks at that. And he says, my son, my daughter, if that is your heart, oh, I love that. I love that. And that is something that I'm going to bless. And, you know, Jesus says this because what Paul says here 
to Timothy, this is nothing new that Jesus didn't say. He's just echoing the words of Jesus. And I want us to go and end with this in Matthew 5, verse 10 to 12. He said this, Jesus says this, he says, Blessed, in other words, happy, are those who are persecuted. That's actually what it means, blessed. It means you're in a happy state because you've been persecuted. Happy are you. What? (laughs) That's literally what it means. For those of you that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. This is nothing new. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And this is the heart. And I want to say, blessed are you. God says, man, if you do that for his name, you are blessed. You want to be blessed? Count for God. You want to be blessed? You know, do you want to live the blessed life this morning? Do you want to live the blessed life? Okay then we got to say, Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm prepared to, to stand up for your name, to be persecuted for the name of righteousness. I want to live the blessed life. <laughs> I'm laughing not because it's funny. I'm laughing because of the way of the kingdom of heaven and the way that sometimes we've been taught today. You know, the biggest churches at the moment, in, and I've shared this before, are churches where guys are writing books, um, and they're writing, do you, the blessed life is one where you live for yourself and you ask God to give you faith, for your own life and your own, and you find success and prosperity financially, that's not the blessed life, according to Scripture. Does God want to bless you financially? Yes, He can look after you, of course. But seek first the kingdom of heaven, and then all these things are added unto you. And so I'd like to close with us to say, that, man, we're a people that are blessed. And as, as things get from bad to worse, we're going to become more blessed. And God will look at that, and He will sustain you with joy and grace, and strength. And next week, or next time I preach this, we're going to look at the next section where he says to Timothy, but you, Timothy, you need to hold on to the Word of God. And he says to him, but Timothy, the Word of God is able to train you and help you to live well in this world. And friends, we're going to be looking at that next time of what does it mean to have the Word breathed into and inspired through our lives. And so I'd like to pray for you as we close. Yes, Lord. Let's stand together. Yes, Father. Yes, Lord. Lord, this morning we come to you, and Father, as we've been exposed to your word, Lord, this isn't the word of Mike. Uh, This isn't the word of Joshua Generation Church. This is the word that has been passed down for 2,000 years, written by the holy apostles, that has been a word given to saints from every generation and every age. And Lord, this morning, we want to count with those believers, and we stand on the shoulders of men and women that have gone before us that have paid a great price. Lord, we think of men like William Tyndale, the first man who translated the Bible into English, who was burned at the stake for his faith. Lord, we think of these men who, who sacrificed the, the, the man that was water baptized, the Anabaptists, and how they were persecuted because they reintroduced baptism into the church. Lord, we think of these people, and we think of the great cost that even after church, we are getting to baptize people in church. Lord, and we think of people who are persecuted for that very thing. 
As we read our Bibles, Lord, we see that as we read our Bibles in our language, that some counted a great cost for that. And Lord, this morning, we want to come before you very humbly and very gratefully to say, Lord, we want to count ourselves worthy to follow Jesus. We want to count ourselves worthy to pick up our cross and to follow Christ. Lord, we want to say to you today that we are not here to just to live a life for selfish purposes. We are here, Lord, to live our life for the glory of God. We are here to seek first the kingdom of God. Come, Lord. And just where you are, and, and would you just, just commit yourself afresh to the Lord? To say, Mike, um, or not Mike, say, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I come before you afresh. And I want to come afresh and I want to lay down my life as a living sacrifice. Like Romans 12 says, I want to offer up my body and put it on the altar so that it would be consumed by the fire of God's holiness, by the fire of God's love. Lord, this morning I want to offer up my life afresh and I want to recount and re-say, Lord, with, with Paul the Apostle, it is no longer I that live, but it is Christ that lives in me. There's no longer I that live. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, Galatians 2.20. Lord, that the old is gone, the old life, that stuff where it's living for myself and living for pleasures and living to be reckless and a, a lover of myself. Those days are gone, Lord God. And we say, Lord, that we are a people that are lovers of God. We are those that don't just have a form of godliness, but we have the power, the power of the resurrection, the power of the Spirit within us, Lord. And would you come afresh this morning with resurrection power, Lord, within each one of us, to, um, just to activate us, Father, as we believe, as we lay hold of you, into faith and into holiness and into um, overcoming with you, Lord God. Come and do so, Lord Jesus, this morning. I want to pray for some people today. And just with every head bowed, I want to pray that if, if you are here today and you have not died to your life, and, and maybe you've got a form of godliness, you know, but if, if you're honest before God, you haven't surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ. You've maybe never made that decision or you've fallen away and you've picked up your, your life again. You said, but actually it's me that live. I, but I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ today. Is there anyone this morning that wants to come to Christ and to give up your life for Christ? I want to say that there's, the Bible says there's no other way to life. And if you reject Him, that's it. You reject life. For you, there is, there is consequence of eternal death. So God here is not giving you an option like I'm giving you today. This is the consequence of life and death. God sets before you today life or He sets before you death. And if you know that the Holy Spirit is prompting you today, you, you know that. You know you're here because the Spirit is prompting you and you, you feel Him knocking on, the, on your heart. Is there anyone like that? That Just with every head bowed, just raise your hand. Say, Mike, that's me. I would love you to pray for me for salvation, to come, to come to Christ. Anyone like that? I'm not going to manipulate you or force you into this. This is before you and God. But is there anyone that wants to make a decision to follow Christ? Thank you, ma'am. Could you keep your hand up there, please? I'm just going to get someone to come pray. Um, um, Tennyson, um, um, uh, Marianne, could you just stand next to the lady? We're going to pray for her. Maybe just, just lay your hand gently on her. And for, is there anyone else this morning that wants to respond? Don't do it for man. You're doing it for the Lord. Okay, then I want us to pray together for her. And 
um, as she's responded. And let's just pray for her. Father, we want to thank you for this young lady that's responded this morning. Lord, who has said, today I'm going to be a, f- a full follower of Jesus. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. And Lord, we pray that even as, as she gets prayed for now, that you would come and you would wash her sins away. And that you would transform her inside out as she sits at the feet of Jesus. As she just gives her sins and her burdens, as she lays it at the foot of Jesus. We pray for a miracle of the new birth today. In the name of Jesus, we pray, Father. Lord, would you transform and touch her? Would you convict her of her sin and bring her to repentance? In the name of Jesus. And we thank you for her response today, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray for the rest of us today. And, and maybe you're, you're scared of surrendering yourself to Christ. You know, maybe for you, you want to you wanna give it all. Or you want to say, I want to be like, like Jim Elliot. I want to be like that girl in Columbine. But Lord, I'm scared. I'm scared of actually giving myself over to I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. Right? I've been there. And, and you, for you today, it's like you feel like, Lord, I need, I need boldness. I need faith to consecrate myself afresh to the Lord. And is there anyone that we can pray for for that, that you in that position, you say, Mike, I want to, uh, but I need help. Would you raise your hand where you are? Anyone like that that needs, needs prayer? Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your boldness. Is there anyone else? Okay. Um, and then for the rest of us, I'd like us to just to raise our hands with this gentleman here. And to say, Lord Jesus, today we come before you. And Lord, we thank you for the joy, the blessedness of being your people. We pray for our friend, Lord, that has raised his hand, that you'd fill him with boldness and faith um, to consecrate himself to you, Lord. Lord, that you'd give him a resolve and and a resilience of faith as he looks at you, that he wouldn't try and sum up the courage in his own strength, but Lord, that you'd give him courage in the Lord And that you'd cause a boldness in the Spirit to come upon him today in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for him even raising his hand in front of everyone. And that as he's done this in faith, Lord, we pray that in front of many men and many women, that his mouthpiece would be used for the gospel. That he'd be a man that would speak the words of God over his generation. In Jesus' name we pray. So I speak that over you. And for the rest of us, Lord, we, we make us a people who are resilient for you. That are blessed for you. And we say, yes, Lord, we receive this into our lives. We embrace your word into our lives. We will not shrink back, Father God. And when we feel like shrinking back, please help us. Please empower us in order to stand firm. Lord, we know we can't do this in our own strength. We need the power of the Spirit. And we receive you, Holy Spirit. We receive of your Spirit today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Amen. 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 So what we're going to do is, we, that is the end of our, our morning together. We are going to do something, like, like Morris mentioned at the beginning, we are going to celebrate four baptisms. And, and so...